Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, it's Courtney. On this week's episode of In Doubt, we're joined by author and nonprofit journalist Tony Renke. Isaac has the opportunity to talk with him about technology and faith in today's culture. Tony actually released his third book a couple years ago called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, where he celebrates and critiques the smartphone. So that's where we're going with this conversation. Isaac and Tony take the time to break down the pros and cons of our smartphone use, the connectedness and the disconnectedness of technology today. And it does bring us to ask this question. If smartphones are so bad, why do we even use them? But instead of going to the extreme, you'll hear how Tony urges us to understand that smartphones can be a tool to help us flourish, as long as we're not misusing them. So I hope that you enjoy this episode as you hear from Isaac and Tony Ranke. With me today is Tony Ranke. Tony is an author, he's a journalist, a senior writer for Desiring God, and you may recognize him as the host of the Ask Pastor John podcast, and that's with John Piper. So it's great to have you with us today, Tony. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me along, Isaac. Firstly, can you just tell us a bit about who you are? People might be more familiar with the tone of your voice than who you actually yeah. are. So, And <laughs> right. also, how did you come to know and love Jesus? Yeah, great. I uh, yeah, I'm a non nonprofit Christian journalist. Um, so I was tra- trained as a journalist uh, back in college, and then was converted after college, and sort of merged my love for the gospel and my love for journalism into uh, a career. Uh, I've been married now longer than I was single, which is crazy. That still hasn't sunk in yet. Um, my wife and I we live in Phoenix with our three kids, who are 18, 14, and 12 years old. Um, I'm the author of five books now, two on technology and media, and I work for DesiringGod.org, as you said. Uh, get to host the popular podcast, Ask Pastor John with John Piper, and that podcast is now like 1,400 episodes in. We're about about to turn seven years old, and so that's been quite a ride. And um, I came to Christ at the age of 21 out of a very sort of o- obedient-centric Lutheran background. Um, I was a good kid. Uh, I was very churchy. Uh, I thought I could appease God and save myself, essentially, by my own righteousness, and came to understand that, no, that's absolutely impossible. Uh, Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ could save me. And this all came alive to me in a sermon uh, on the Pharisee and the tax collector, that story that Jesus tells in Luke 18, uh, verses 9 to 14. And that just hit me like a freight train. It changed my life forever, and uh, that was the moment that I cried out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a pretty nice church-going, good grade-getting sinner, um, and that's when it dawned on me. So, yeah, age 21, everything changed. So, background in journalism, and then got uh, converted, and then sort of merged those two interests together: my love for Christ and my love for for journalism. And uh, that's that's where I'm at now. That's so good. Thanks for sharing that with us. And one thing I, I should say, I think people might enjoy this a little bit. Uh, I think it was yesterday when as I was preparing to have this conversation, I was reminded of, I don't, I'm not sure, maybe it was a year or two ago, uh, listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast. And one of the podcasts was about uh, John's love for grape nuts. Um, yes. this cereal. And I'm sure you uh, get yeah. a lot of people talking about that, but it 
completely caught me off guard and I (laughs) listened to it again yesterday and it just cracked me up so much. So I I appreciate that you've just inserted maybe one or two uh, (laughs) podcasts in your your thing that are that fun. So if anyone's listening, uh, you can go check that out. Maybe we can put that on the episode podcast page and and listen to that because I'm sure it's one of your favorites too, Tony. It is. It is that one and then How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse. (laughs) You've got to listen to that one too. I try and introduce some fun into the podcast. Yes, and you do. It's risky business trying to introduce fun around John Piper, but every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while, we succeed. Well, I think the hard part is that he he explains his love for the grape nuts as if he's explaining some theological doctrine, um, which <laughs> is which makes it so good. Yes. But anyways, um, very serious, serious joy. Yes, exactly. There you go. Um, you've written a book, Tony, some years ago now called Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You." Just a couple years ago, a few years ago now. So, what brought you to write a book about a phone? Yeah, well, my own bad smartphone habits brought me to to write this book, really. Um, I wanted to help my kids act wisely in social media and with their smartphones, uh, but I kept facing this reality that I had not done enough work myself uh, on my own heart, really. Um, and, of course, there's you know growing concerns now more generally that you, the more addicted you become to your phone, the more prone you are to depression, anxiety, the less able you are to concentrate at work, sleep at night. So digital distractions are no game. Um, so I wanted to sort of look at my own life and my own habits and my, my poor habits. I wanted to jump into the cultural discussion on habits. And I also wanted to, uh, celebrate the smartphone as something that reflects the glory of the creator. So I wanted to celebrate the smartphone and critique the smartphone at the same time. And that's really hard work. And I wanted to, to jump in and see if I could do it. Yeah. And I guess this may be a, a silly question, but uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit of some of the problems that you saw in your own life and other people's lives. But, uh, w- you know, what, why was it necessary what you did in your book? What, why was it necessary to provide some kind of solution to that at this point in history? Yeah, well, I mean, smartphones are so captivating. They are so captivating uh, that you can get lost inside a labyrinth of things that are beautiful and awesome and also outrageous and sinful, outright sinful. And some things that are simply entertaining and some things that are simply fun. And you can lose a sense of the, the, the weight of eternal things. And so the question that we face as Christians is, is very simple. You know, what is the best use of my smartphone in the flourishing of my life right now and in my joy to come eternally? How is the smartphone a tool for me to use? Um, how am I misusing it? Because if we get stupid with our phone, that's when we becomes that's when we become a slave to our phones. When we become stupid with our phones, we become slaves to our phones. So we got to be we got to be smart with these technologies. And so um, that was really the necessity that I felt that led me to to write the book. Yeah, that's so good. I think it would be good just for this conversation that we're having, out of the 12 ways that our phones change us, that you've researched, that you've studied, um, I'm thinking of maybe two or three that you could maybe share with us today. Maybe these are the ones that, even since writing your book, you've seen them, okay, these are the top ones, maybe they're they're very important, um, things like that. So yeah, just feel free to take time to to develop these, but maybe give us two or three that you, you'd like to share with our audience today. Yeah, that's good. I'll give you three three basic takeaways from my book. Um, so not necessarily chapters, but just general takeaways. The first one is um, smartphones are black mirrors. So what we do with our phones is a pixelization on a screen of what we most want in our hearts. Um, that's true. If we're a narc- if we're narcissistic, that's what we're going to find online. We're going to see a reflection of ourselves. We'll be we'll be searching for things online that bolster our self image, that bolster our self glory. 
So that black mirror is going to reflect what my heart most wants right into my eyes. Um, if the heart is driven by an unquenchable desire for sexual lust, pornography, it's going to be the thing you see on your screen. Um, the phone discloses what your heart most wants. And you can tell yourself that you're a nice person, morally good, don't hurt other people. But there's at some point there's this there's this almost like Kafka-like nightmare awakening when you look into the screen of your phone and you look directly into your own heart. It's like you're making eye contact with your deepest desires. And for, for a lot of people, if they're hardened to their sin, they, it, it won't bother them. But as soon as God starts working on your heart and you start to realize um, this is the essence of who I am, looking at what's on a screen, that can be a real wake-up call. So at some point deep down, if you know that you were made to love God above everything else, this reality is going to drive you to your knees because what you're going to see reflected in the black mirror in your hand um, is not that. Um, it's going to be sin. So smartphones are black mirrors, and that is very scary yeah, uh, at one level. Absolutely. And you know what, what, what is it about smartphones that cause us— to to see in it our our sin like wh- why not something something else why is it a smartphone well it, we put passcodes on it because if you if you got into my phone or if i got into your phone i would be able to look into you know what is it you're about what apps are you using how do you use them um if we can get into each other's browser histories if we can get into each other uh, our clicking history if you start to get into there those are deeply uh, personal intimate places that disclose the things that are, that drive us. And so, um, again, it's it, uh, for a lot of people who are just kind of hardened to sin, they're not going to really see a problem with that. For the, Once you start to awaken to the fact that God has called me to desire him above all things, then you start to look at, okay, well, what is it that I'm really looking at on my screen? Your screen doesn't lie. If you want pornography, that's what you're going to find. If you want self-glory, that's what you're going to find. Your phone screen does not lie to you. It is you looking uh, directly making eye contact with the deepest desires of your heart, and that is absolutely frightening. Um, the The second takeaway from the book is that the local church is irreplaceable. Uh, online, we tend to follow people who are just like us, who are similar to us socioeconomically, uh, similar uh, adoption to technology, uh, people who have the same kind of apps that we use. Um, but in reality, we need pe- we need people around us that are different, different races, different age brackets, different socioeconomic groups. I need to be uh, I need to be shaped by elderly people, uh, the mentally, physically handicapped. I need those people in my life. The poor I need in my life. All those people that will never appear in my social media feeds, um, I'll see them. I'll meet them at my local church. And so, there's a really beautiful takeaway. And I I think it's an application of a number of the different 12 ways in the book is that we need the local church because we need that sort of that diversity speaking into our lives. And and we don't find that in social media. Uh, So that's kind of the second takeaway. The third takeaway is that um, we need to realize that we live inside of a digital paradox. You know, we want to be known and we want to hide. Um, and this is something David Foster Wallace in his novel Infinite Jest talks about. This is back in, I think, like 1994 he published that that novel. But in his storyline, he's got these telephones that went from traditional voice telephones, you know, that were mounted on a wall. You picked them up and, and held it to your ear. And, and the transition was moving towards video phones. And so he said the, answering the phone became less like answering a traditional phone and more like answering the door. So you got people, you know, quick putting on more clothes and brushing their hair and putting on toupees and prosthetics and makeup. You know, all of our media is always like trying to expose more of us 
to which we put up, you know, more and more digital facades. And so what Wallace was talking about, even in the mid 1990s, is there was a market for filters that you physically put over the video phone camera that made you appear more fit, more beautiful than you really are. I mean, he really foresaw bitmojis, you know, of sort of speaking through a, a, a modified me. Uh, but here's the reality. Like, if I get in an elevator and there's other people in that elevator and strangers, what do I do? I grab for my phone, right? And what do I do when I'm alone at home? I grab for my phone. So the smartphone causes this um, this social reversal. You know, this there's this two-sided desire. On, on one hand, there's a desire to be alone in public. And at the same time, there's a desire to never be alone in private. Um, and yet, And yet there's this... This reality is that we are becoming the loneliest generation. I mean, it's just not working. This desire to be alone in public and never alone in private does not alleviate um, our loneliness. And so those, I think, are the three sort of takeaways uh, for me as I look at the book and sort of how people have, have talked to me about the book is that you know our phones are black mirrors. They reflect what we most want. The local church is irreplaceable. It, it does something that our smartphone social media will never do. And third... Um, that we live in this paradox that we want to be alone when we're in public and we don't want to be alone when we're in private. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, Tony. Thank you for that. And thinking back to, you just briefly talked about this idea of, you know, filters and you mentioned David Foster Wallace and things like that. I think all of us kind of know uh, intuitively that, you know, putting filters on and stuff like that, we kind of know there's something wrong with that. But maybe can you just lay it out kind of simply like how does how does doing that on Instagram and Facebook and our, on our phones, how does that actually impact our hearts? This constant, you know, put, putting on filters, how does that play out in our real lives and impact us? Well, I think because of the ubiquity of social media and smartphones, because it's such a part of our lives and we're so used to editing our lives um, in social media, we're so used to putting on Instagram a certain version of who we are. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be fake and altogether because there are there are people on Instagram that are more like real, more honest. But still, even in, in, in that case, you're still putting a, a very small sliver of who you are online. And um we all become actors. We all become actors in front of a screen. We all sort of uh, play act this side of us that we want other people to approve of. Um, and that's always been the case. I mean, if you if you worked on Wall Street, you'll dress a certain way. Um, you know, you, you, you're always going to seek the approval of your peers by sort of um, trying to match the fashion of the peers that you want to impress. If you want to try to impress the goth community, what are you going to wear? You're going to wear goth, right? Because you're trying to fit into that community. Well, we do something like that on Instagram where we're trying to um, we're trying to put forward a, 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 a modified or a, a selected portion of who we are to be approved by a certain subculture. Um, now, I think what happens over time is because this is so ingrained in our patterns is that who we try to be on social media becomes a sort of reality we try to live out. So we're an actor or an actress on Instagram, but then we take that image that we're trying to project and we try to live that out. And so I think it does, uh, I especially see this in, you know, my teens as they struggle with this, there's this way in which social media conditions them to be a certain type of person it, it, quote unquote in real life. And it's because of the play acting on social media is so potent that it then bleeds over into their daily life. And they, they try to put on this, this image, uh, that they're trying to, to, uh, project. So it works both ways. I mean, that you have this sliver of who you want to be projected in social media that sort of becomes what you're aspiring to be in the rest of life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. As you kind of share some of these things, some people may be listening and might be thinking, well, if if phones are causing so much, you know, harm, then 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 why do we need them? I mean, I, I was thinking of this kind of silly argument, saying, well, if Jesus was the um, you know most human ever to exist mm-hmm. and abundantly, and he never had a smartphone, then you know why don't we just toss these things if it's causing so much harm? How do you how do you respond to people that kind of want to kind of monkify the idea of just getting away? Yeah, well, the first uh, the first argument to make there is that this desire for um, either self glory or the desire for wealth or the desire for image of any kind has been a has been a challenge since the days of Jesus. He warned about the four soils, and one of the soils there that won't let the gospel grow in a heart is this uh, over concern with worldly things. And so, the smartphone doesn't necessarily create these these temptations, but it it does amplify them. So I think that's one of the things to say that there are no new heart issues around today. The second thing I think to say, and this is something that Christians struggle with as well, is to see that technology is a revelation of God's glory. Um, that doesn't baptize every use of technology. But um, uh, you know, I typically go through like Isaiah 54 and talk about war, uh, war technology as being something that's given as a gift from God. You can go to Isaiah 28 and look at agricultural technology as a gift from God. Technology reflects the creator's brilliance in uh, giving us the, the natural order that we have. Um, so much so that um, one of the arguments that I make out of Isaiah 54 is that God controls the future. God is sovereign over the future because he's sovereign over the creation of the innovators of the future. So it's not like uh, the, the smartphone just came about because Steve Jobs was brilliant and all glory to Steve Jobs. We have smartphones because in 1955, God determined that Stephen Paul Jobs would be born and he would bring about the smartphone. And so there's more of a, a God-centered, uh, a big God vision of technology that I'm trying to help Christians with that help to balance this sort of like, let's not just dismiss technology, but let's not go overboard and just adopt all technology. And one of the ways to do that is to see that God has sovereignly given us these gifts and these gifts are good for some wonderful things um i mean to have a smartphone is unbelievable i mean when i travel having a smartphone having a map uh being able to find restaurants that are well you know that are well ranked in yelp i mean those kind of things are phenomenal technologies and i stand back and think my goodness lord thank you for this technology and then there's also times when i see that i'm using it sinfully and uh, i repent for those things and so I think when it comes to technology, and really this is true of a lot of ethical dilemmas in the Christian life, is you have to learn where to celebrate and where to critique, and you oftentimes uh, are going to find yourself somewhere in the middle uh, with technologies. And that's been true since the dawn of time. I mean, every technology has pros and cons, especially in a fallen world, and we as Christians need to navigate that. So if Christians don't know what to do with a smartphone— I mean, what's going to happen when we talk about genetic modifications of humans? What do we do when we talk about um, uh, domestic robots, self-driving cars? I mean, the technologies are just going to come uh, in the next 20 years really quickly at us. And we have to we have to think through these things. And smartphones is just one sort of little uh, area where we can start to get our feet wet. And like, what, is, what does this look like for a local church, for parents and pastors and teens to come together and sort of start thinking about these things? Yeah, well, we'll be relying on people like you to help us through that, Tony. So keep doing what you're doing because <laughs> we need help. That stuff oh, I'm doing my very best. scares me. So anyways, that's good. Uh, at the beginning of your book, you quote uh, two passages from 1 Corinthians uh, 6.12 and 10.23. Let me just quickly read them just so our... Um, our listeners can can get the context here. Paul writes, 
all things are lawful for me, in quotes, but not all things are helpful. And then again, in quotes, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then in chapter 10, verse 23, again, all things are lawful, for, uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. I guess the question is, what is being said here? Because I don't think you would have put it there if you didn't know it was being said. And Yeah, it's, it's a mouthful, isn't it? It is, it is. And then how, how does that relate to your, your book and, and our phone usage? If you put them at the beginning of the book, there must be the reason there. Yeah, so I use 350 Bible citations in this book. It's, it's my way of saying that the Bible is immediately relevant for the digital age. And in this particular case, in the ancient city of Corinth, um, there was a motto. And that motto went something like this. All things are lawful for me. In other words, you know, don't tell me what I can't do. I'm free to do what I want. Uh, and it, it sounds like a, you know, a lot like present-day North America, actually. And the, the Apostle Paul in that culture, in responding to that cultural model to help, help the church through that, echoes back, quote, but not all things are helpful, end quote. And then comes back the refrain, all things are lawful for me. But then Paul pushes back and says, I will not be dominated by anything. And then comes the, the Corinthian motto, once again, all things are lawful. And then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. So the point is that when we find freedom in Christ, it's not a freedom to fall back into the bondage of this world. So freedom in Christ gives us sure-footed uh, self-reflection to avoid cultural bondage. So my freedom in Christ gives me eyes to see that not all the things in this world are helpful for me or helpful for others or acceptable for my witness in the world. And that's directly applicable to my smartphone and how I use it. So Christians can honestly ask themselves, are my social media habits, one, beneficial to my soul, number two, helpful to others, and number three, supportive of my witness in the world? And if the answer to those questions is no, your freedom in Christ does not vindicate your smartphone addiction. So there's an end to it. You can, you're free to use a smartphone. But you better you you have to use it in a way that has eternal eyes, and not just trying to you know score a point today, um, glorify yourself on Instagram, whatever it is. Um, and so yeah, that that interaction between Paul and Corinth is really helpful because our freedom in Christ does not vindicate us if if we're using our smartphone unwisely. Right. No, that's so helpful. That's so good. And that can be obviously applied to so many things oh, too, yeah. right? So right. That, that's yep. so good. Um, Tony, what is the, what's the hope for those of us, maybe who are listening, who've, you know, since, you know, talking with you, maybe it's kind of been in the back of our minds for a while, we've realized that our phones have changed us maybe for, for the worse, that we've become uh, fake a lot of the time and what we're posting. We are seeking out that glory uh, that you were referring to as well. What What is the hope that we have? And, and I guess, what is the hope that you offer in your book as well? Yeah, well, the hope is not in myself and the hope is not in yourself. Uh, our hope is not in a life hacking app. Uh, our, our hope is not in tracking our time spent in apps. It's a lot deeper than this because each of us, um, uh, each of us are led along by our own native appetites and tastes, and desires. Again, going back to those desires that are deep inside of us. And I mean, this is true of every creature. Uh, so like a fish is swimming along, swims past a lobster, and doesn't think, ooh, lobster equals food. But if a fish swims by a, a, a worm, it says, ooh, worm equals food, right? And if we if we see a worm, we, we don't say food. But if we see a lobster, if you like lobster, you say food, right? And so there are these instinctual deep appetites that work inside of each of us. And this is true for every creature. 
And we, we especially, we experience this for sexuality, for wealth, for self-glory. We feel these appetites. And that th- those appetites for, for sex, for wealth, for, for self-glory, those are three of the most potent native impulses that drive us uh, inside each of us. It drives us how we use our phones. And so what is our hope? Well, it's not a hope in just trying to be a better person or a little nicer person or being more civilized or looking at porn less or looking less self-consumed on social media because these native desires inside of us for sex and wealth and self-glory, those create a magnetic field in which all of the other desires in our lives orbit. So what's needed is not merely to throw away a smartphone or go for a dumb phone. Our truest need is so deep. It's deeper than a digital detox. I mean, we each have these native instincts and we need to see beauty where we've only seen ugliness before and we need to see ugliness in what we thought was previously attractive. In other words, we have to die to the selfish desire for sex, for wealth, for self-glorification. The whole orbit of our desires has to be destroyed and recreated. Um, We have to be brand new people. We have to become brand new people at the very innermost part of our being in our desires. We have to be born again to see what is truly beautiful and satisfying. So we have to have new hearts or if we're going to dethrone lust, if the desire for wealth is going to be put aside, if that desire for self-glory and social media is going to die, our only hope is in God. He is our desperation. He must awaken us to see the beauty of his son, Jesus Christ, and then in him to find the new true center of all of our desires. That is the message of Christianity, and that's why Christ came to shed his blood for us. It is so rele- it's just as relevant in the digital age as it's ever been. And so that's our only hope. It is not in more apps. It is not in more life hacking. It is not in digital detoxes. It is in Christ alone. Yeah, that's so good, Tony. And it's funny, as you say that, I'm like, how many times have I fallen for the new, uh, pro, you know, productivity app, you know, that's come out, they're like, oh, this is, this is it. This is going to be the easy, you know, I'll <laughs> set up an account and it's all fun at the beginning. Right. And, and then it just, you know, it, it, it's a heart change. It's a new heart change, like you just said. And, and I, I think about this too, in my past, I remember struggling with different things and I had this opportunity, if I'm remembering this correctly, I had this opportunity to go work at a church in a different country. Uh, down in your country, and uh, and I I went down there, and I remember I think it was my pastor, my mentor at that time, just said, hey, like you know, um, you know, just just changing your environment is not going to you know change your heart, but but it's so easy to f- to feel like it will, you know. Um, <laughs> right. So changing those little habits, it, it's that's not going to maybe for a little while, but it's uh, it's not going to change your heart. And I I read recently as well someone saying that you can get really good at looking good on the outside. In fact, you can do quite well. You can actually be quite disciplined. There's lots of very hard-hearted, well-disciplined people. Um, And we have to remember that as well, that it's still not going to change those true uh, heart issues um, that are in. So I I appreciate that, that, Tony. So thank you. Um, What are two or three practices, as we finish up here, what are two or three practices that we as as Christian smartphone users, as I'm assuming that most listening are, um, what can we do to... Uh, begin to ensure healthy phone usage, and I'm, I'm I may be asking that as people that have had their hearts changed, and now they're just in that sanctification process. Yeah, exactly. That's there's no replacement for that, right? So the the change has to come from God Himself. But then once the change happens, there's still a call for discipline. Uh, and so I think there's just one really big one uh, that comes to mind, and that is the the digital detox. Uh, find time to get offline, get away from screens. Uh, for me, that's at least one day a week. Uh, for me, that's a two-week span once a year. Find space between you and the digital 
media of this age. And so uh, a digital detox is a type of fasting. And and fasting is how Christians say, uh, traditional fasting, uh, food is not my God, food is not my comfort, food is not the basis of my happiness, God is. And so we use food rightly when God is at the center of our lives, not food. And so in an, a, a consumer-driven age of abundance, you know, there's just so much food and so many things. And in this consumer-driven age that we live in, you can imagine how fasting becomes even more urgent. You know, food is a powerful habit, uh, and, and so are our smartphones. So every day we habitually turn to our phones more often than we turn to sugar. You know, smartphones are like a virtual form of candy. So a digital detox is a way of saying the, you know, the vast array of spectacles that are available to me, all these things that I can see on my screen— those are not my God. The self-affirmation and acceptance that I seek in social media is not the basis of my happiness. It'll never make me happy. God's acceptance of me in union, in union with Jesus Christ is the only basis of my happiness. And only when our lives are recentered on God can we learn to use our phones in an honorable way and with eternal purpose. So digital detoxes, it's not rocket science, but they are essential only because we have been showered uh, with new gifts from God in the form of technology and media. And there are spectacles that are wonderful gifts from God. I enjoy watching movies with my family. But, you know, our eyes, what our eyes naturally look for is leading us into uh, temptation, leading us into sin. And we have to be careful with what it is that we're looking for. What is it that truly is is uh, has got my heart? Is it my affection for Jesus Christ or is it my affection for this world? So like all fasting, it's a... Uh, uh, digital detox is like a sanctified gratitude. It's a way to ensure that our lives are centered on the gift giver, not on his gifts. And in this case, the smartphone is a wonderful gift. But what we're saying in that digital detox is we're saying the gift giver, the one who gave us the smartphone, is greater mm-hmm. than his gift. That's so good. And, and and quick two responses, that question responses. Firstly, we are so attached to our phones that when you say, you know, do a digital detox, I, I think many are like, okay, but how how do I do that? What do I do if the if the phone's in the cupboard for for, you know, two weeks, let alone a, a day? Like what what do I do? And then after that, maybe just encourage us by explaining how this has personally affected you, these digital detoxes, what they have done for you. Yeah, so if you work online like me, uh, it's it's not easy. Uh, but you you can do things like just deleting uh, social media apps off of your laptop or off your computer, and then uh, deleting those apps off your phone. Uh, have, I've got a spouse; my wife is a wonderful help on this. So I can do email. I can respond to work related text messages. I can do that without then being drawn into Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and so those are my sort of my big time consumers or those, those social mediums. Um, so, I mean, you're just gonna have to work around, like there are going to be some essential things that you're going to have to do. Like I can't travel without my smartphone, you know, so that's just always going to be there. Um, usually I will map my, especially my two week digital detox, I'll map that onto a vacation. So the first day of that digital detox will be the first day of a vacation. Uh, if I need to use a smartphone on the road for travel apps, I will, but I'll have deleted all my social media apps from there. And then when I get back home four or five days later, uh, then it just continues on. And I usually map that onto a big project, like a writing uh, project. So um, I'm off social media because I'm working on something big. And I think that's one of the big takeaways too, is that in my research, what I realized is that the the two college students that don't really have a problem with smartphones are pre-med majors and pre-law majors. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer why. Right. Because a, a, a pre-med major and a pre-law major, they have a vision in mind of what they want to do that is so huge and so demanding, and they're putting in so many hours in school and trying to apply to get into apprenticeships and trying to get into, you know, law school and trying, like, they're, they're driven by this vision, this all-consuming vision of what they are called to do and to be, that social media for them is really not a problem. And I think we can all take that take away from that this idea that if you and this is what this is what drives me crazy with so many of the sort of digital minimalism books and digital detox books that we have in the world today. It's just kind of a, a small industry trying to get people off off social media. The the, the challenge is it, the goal is not about just going on a digital detox. The goal is to reorient your life so that you're working on something that is so much bigger and so much more significant and has eternal value. That it drives then how you view social media. So if your life does not have purpose, you don't know what God has called you to do to be, you're going to have a, a big challenge trying to break free from the smartphone because you're going to keep turning back to the smartphone to find your purpose and to find value and to find meaning because you're not driven by a vision that's bigger than the smartphone. So that's that's. I mean, that's we could do a whole another podcast just on that, on identifying vocation and what has God called me to do. But this is the sort of the black hole of what most digital minimalism books and seminars miss is it's not just about getting offline. Uh, it's about reorienting around something that's bigger than what you're trying to accomplish in social media, a bigger calling. And that calling could be your family. If you're a, a husband, wife, um, uh, mom, dad, that vision could be school. That vision could be a career. That vision could be serving in the local church. That vision could be missions. That vision could be a lot of different things. But it, until that's really settled, and I, I know nobody really has 100% guaranteed I know exactly what God has called me to. We all live with this level of, you know, maybe it could be something different in the future. Maybe I'm not in the right career now. Like, we always struggle with those kind of questions. But uh, until we look up and look out and see what God is doing through us, in us, and what he wants to use us for, uh, we're just going to get lost in that labyrinth of social media, of all those promises of what we could really quickly achieve with one more tweet, one more Instagram post, one more Facebook post. And it's just a, it's a labyrinth of, of time wasting. So digital detox, I think if I was going to write a book on digital detoxes, it would basically be a book about finding purpose. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it would be because that is that, that, that's the key. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. And in the last minute here, Tony, uh, that second part of the question, how has this improved your, your life? How has it helped you? Yeah. So as a writer, as someone who loves to write books, I mean, I need huge blocks of time to complete books. Um, it, it just takes hundreds of hours to research and write and edit, uh, depending on the book, anywhere from between 200 to 400 hours is how much I need. And so um, I've said several times on social media in the last uh, eight years since I've started writing books is that uh, my, my book writing has really kept my sanity. Because I, I go on social media because I'm looking for specific things. I'm looking for things related to digital detoxes, uh, smartphone habits, things like that. I don't get caught up into the latest scandal that was stirred up by uh, a Donald Trump tweet. <laughs> I don't get pulled into the church debates over she said, he said, you know, all. I just don't get, get carried away into that, that kind of stuff because book writing is such a massive project. And I've got other books that I want to write in the future. That is sort of it sort of narrows the kind of things that I want to speak into in a helpful way. And so those digital detoxes for me are a reminder like, oh, yeah, you've got a big project that you're working on. And I think all of us can have a big project that we want to work on. I know a lot of people who are not professional musicians, but they want to create an album and they have the technology to do that. 
um, a low budget documentary, um, yeah, a novel, a nonfiction book. Uh, people who want to write the the story of their family history and kind of you know write a book about where they came from. Like there's uh, there's so many things that we could do that are big projects. Um, that uh, when it comes to a digital detox, for me, it's a remind. And those first three days are hard, really hard. I mean, it, it's like you're cutting off an appendage of your life, right? And it's it, it's it's painful and it's bloody and it hurts. But then after about like three or four days in that that two week detox that I do once a year, things start to come back to normal. I start to feel more refreshed. I can think more clearly. My uh, concentration returns in a more powerful way, and like yeah, I can just focus on reading books writing for a long period of time and i realized how how uh how invigorating it really is to do that for two weeks but um yeah so that's that's what i'm reminded of is just like set big goals on big projects that are going to take years to accomplish and uh find time to do that and just orient your life towards those goals and uh that that i think for me is what brings clarity to social media and what I do and what I don't do. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Tony, you and I have talked about lots of lots of different things. Kind of went to digital detox, which I'm really glad we did. That's really helpful, and I hope you, as you're listening, um, are encouraged as well. But anyways, Tony, I just want to say a huge thank you for being with us today. Isaac, thanks for the opportunity. I'm really glad that Tony was able to join us on this episode, and I hope that this prompts you to look at your own smartphone habits and take the time to do so with the best practices in mind. For more information on any of Tony's books, including 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, you can go to TonyRanke.com or you can check out the episode page at indoubt.ca. As we're heading into the Christmas season, I just wanted to add a quick note about our end-of-the-year campaign. There's only two times that we really push our fundraising goal, and this is one of them. For December of this year, Indoubt's goal is to raise $75,000. If Indoubt has impacted you and you'd like to help us to continue to be a resource for young adults like yourself, then I'd encourage you to check out the donate page on our website or you can email me at info at Join us next week as Craig Douglas is talking to Joshua about the role we play in shaping the young lives around us. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 